condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. The world for people who think... Hi everyone, welcome back to Behind the Headlines. I'm Neil Bradley, my co-host Joe Quinn. Hi there. And our other co-host, Elan Martin. Hi everyone. And Harrison Keeley. Hello. Today is Sunday 29th October 2017. This week on Behind the Headlines, we're going to be looking at some more of the incredible events taking place in Catalonia, Spain. There have been some updates since our last discussion on this last week. Um, it's quite a standoff. Will Spain split in two? We'll see. But there are other big events this week um, in the news, certainly. The JFK files. Finally, the truth has been revealed. We all know. Yes. Go it on. was Oswald all along. <laughs> and it's been an incredible episode of obfuscation, uh, incredible ways of, of reporting the news without reporting much yep. at all. It's been 25, the reason of course for coming up this week is 25 years since this law was passed that would mandate that all files be released by 26 October 2017. Mm-hmm. People have forgotten but what inspired it back at the time, what got the ball rolling was a public reaction to Oliver Stone's JFK movie, which came out in 1991. Now, regardless of, of, of how accurate that movie got, the more plausible scenario for what happened to JFK in 1963... Close enough. Close enough. The response of the time, it caused such enough of a reaction that it brought about this law, which which to pacify people and say, well, okay, I'll tell you what, in a quarter century, we'll tell you everything, promise. Well, the law didn't actually say that. They said that they had 25 years to release them. Okay. Not that they had to release them in 25 years. So they basically waited until the very oh, last to the very last moment. Okay. So that's our other big topic this week. We'll also be doing, having a look at some other events um, as we go around the world in 80 minutes or more. What do we start with? Let's, let's just, maybe um, it might be a quick thing to, you want to start with JFK? Okay. JFK files. What do we know that we didn't know? What I want to know. Last week. What I want to know is when can we end this charade? The charade of who did it? No. The charade of the mainstream media and governments pretending that everybody doesn't know that it wasn't just Oswald. Because they are pretending. Mm-hmm. Because they all know that it wasn't Oswald. Every man and his dog knows, and every woman and every non-binary, you know, <laughs> squirrel, gender-fluid squirrel, knows that it was not um, Oswald on his own. It's patently obvious. It's absurd. It's like walking into a room of 20 people who all know that this guy is blue, and then you 
hold forth as the authority that the sky is red when you know the sky is blue. And everybody sits there and listens and goes, uh-huh, okay, okay. It's a farce. It's a complete and utter farce. And you have Donald Trump, the big orange doofus, standing up there saying, I'm releasing all these documents so that finally we can put to rest these conspiracy theories. What crack is that man smoking? Well, he's actually smoking probably very good quality crack, but since he's, you know, Donald Trump, but um, it's just ridiculous. Um, uh, I, 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 it just, I throw my hands up. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And the media actually starts to write stories on it and stuff. And what, what are you writing? You know, are you going to start all of your articles, the Washington Post, the Washington Times, the New York Times going to start their, their articles with, you know, um, um, conspiracies about what really happened to JFK. Continue have, to flourish. Yeah, have, have, have refused to die down. Yeah, for very good reason, because it's screamingly obvious that your ridiculous, nonsensical Oswald story is BS, and everybody knows it. I mean, there's been poll after poll after poll over the past, you know, especially since uh, Oliver Stone's movie, but even before that, that a majority, sometimes a large majority of Americans don't believe the official story. Mm-hmm. So when do you take those polls seriously after decades of repeated polls showing that? When does the media take those seriously and, and not just dismiss all of these people? Because obviously, you know, 50, 60, 70% of Americans, sometimes polls show a higher number of Americans, they're not all conspiracy theories. Most of them are actually, you know, officially or technically, they, they, they wouldn't give the time of day to conspiracy theories. But So when a majority of Americans who generally, you know, I would say for the average person, aren't really interested in this kind of thing. Like I said, aren't interested in conspiracy theories. And many of them aren't even interested in the news or what goes on in politics. But this has entered their consciousness because it's been around so long and it was a big issue at the time and it's in popular culture. So when a majority of those people who just give a, uh, take a cursory glance at the, at, the, at the story and immediately go, yeah, Oswald, that's nonsense. Uh, at what point does the mainstream media take those people seriously and not try to call them all conspiracy theorists? But 200 million Americans, they're all conspiracy theorists. Why? So you're saying that they can't see sense over something that is patently, obviously, a load of nonsense. Uh, it's just, it's a farce. It's a, it's a charade, and I'm tired of it. And I'm, I'm sick of having to, I mean, you know, I, I'll, I'll let them get away with uh, using the term conspiracy theory or dismissing it, certain things, conspiracy theories, like things that are be a bit more out there, you know. But in this JFK thing, they got to let it go. It's ridiculous, you know. 54 years. Yeah, just just accept the fact that it probably wasn't Oswald. In fact, effect, accept the conclusions of the Senate uh, or the House uh, Committee uh, on Assassinations or something along those lines that uh, concluded that was set up in I think, 2000 or 2001 or 1989, about that time, to uh, investigate the, the, the murders of... Um, Martin Luther King and JFK and they concluded that Oswald didn't act alone and that it was a conspiracy um, involving uh, other elements within the US. That's what the the Senate investigative committee concluded and yet CNN and New York Times etc still have the cojones to stand up there and say yeah this conspiracy theory about JFK just won't go away will it? Well, what, are you going to include the members of the Senate, of that Senate committee, also in the conspiracy theorist camp? Oh, it's ridiculous. It's like, it's like they're, it's almost, I don't know, it's like, it's, it's oil. And it's not, and that's, you know, 
that's not a conspiracy theory. That's not, you know, it's it, it, objectively true for any sane, rational human being, even of, of, of the non-conspiracy-minded non-conspir- stripe. Um, I don't know. But anyway, enough ranting. Uh, <laughs> what have we... Uh, what have we learned from these documents? Some interesting things, but nothing, basically. That no, wasn't already yeah. in the public. Yeah. Nothing, well, nothing that wasn't already in the public domain either. Right. And it pretty much uh, just, like, any of the little details, like, they... It, it's pretty much just that, like, an extra little detail here and there that um, pretty much, it, you know, might be a new detail, but just kind of fills in what we generally already knew so that that would probably be the only benefit, but just to to go back to the the whole um like spectacle of the release of these documents just to see what actually happened is that so like you guys said it's been twenty five years and they basically gave twenty five years to release them and um m- most of the documents actually were released in the nineties, but they were in redacted form, and there were still about like just over 3,000 documents that were withheld in full. So 3,000 documents that, you know, were totally redacted, weren't even released. So the idea was that by this deadline, this would be the time when all of those previous documents that were partially released would be released in unredacted form and that they would actually release these additional 3,000 documents that had been withheld. And so the the part of the mandate, the law, was that the, they had to be released by this date. Um, and the only condition was that the president could initiate like a six-month delay um, to, you know, on the council of, you know, the different agencies involved to, um, you know, if they had concerns for national security and needed to, you know, re reevaluate some of these documents and, and make some additional redactions or keep some redactions especially for these documents that were previously withheld. So, um, of course, that's, that's what happened. And you'd think that with 25 years of prep time, they could have already made all those decisions. But, of course, like, you know, like government is and government does, they wait till the last minute, not necessarily, well, probably just partially out of laziness and partially out of the fact that, um, you know, they don't like to give up anything they don't have to. And, um, you know, want to keep certain details secret for as long as possible. So the FBI and the CIA and, uh, according to Trump, uh, General Kelly, his uh, chief of staff, recommended that uh, he, you know, go with the six-month delay and make, you know, make these redactions um, for national security because it, it could pose, you know, a, a severe threat to to national yeah. security and foreign affairs and, uh, you know, the security of, uh, or, and, and, um, police, uh, what was it? Police security or something like that. Um, so they actually, they released about, you know, just under 3000 documents, 2,800. And even that was kind of misleading because just looking at that, first of all, I said, Oh, 2,800 documents released. Oh, that means, you know, they almost released all of these, you know, withheld documents. But then no, when you actually look at the archive, only something like 52 or 54 of those were previously unreleased documents. So there are still over 3,000 previously unreleased documents that have been withheld and still, you know, about 30,000 documents that have already been released in redacted form that haven't been released in their unredacted forms. So only only something like uh, in the single percentage of these documents have been released. There's still... um, like the, so, the estimate is that there's about thirty thousand documents, and that 
adds up to about a million pages of documents. Um, And so only like five to 10% maybe of these things have been released and, and that's it. So what we've, what we have right now, you know, what has been released is just a tiny fraction of what is in these documents. And, you know, if there are anything to, to go by, like I said, you know, just earlier, there'll be a few interesting little details, but, uh, you know, no smoking gun. And one of the, one of the reasons for that, um, like we just put an article up on SOT the, a day or two ago, is that <clears throat> there are all kinds of documents, and these are officially, you know, documents officially acknowledged to have existed at some point, which have disappeared or been destroyed. And right. these are documents that have been, you know, um, like regardless of who is talking about them, whether they're you know a government official who totally believes the official story, or um, you know some conspiracy theorists or researchers who have you know tracked down you know the provenance of these documents and and you know tracked down who talked about them and where where and when, these are these are kind of like documents that are kind of universally held to um, or believed to be very important um, to 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 have like you know, important details that people should know and, and want to know. Like there's one that is the, it's like a, a full volume of the, uh, of the seven volume CIA um, report. I can't remember what the, the, you know, the, the exact name of the report is on Oswald. So mm-hmm. most of this has been released, but there's an entire like, you know, volume. I don't know how long a volume is. Maybe it's just a couple dozen pages, maybe more of information on Oswald has just disappeared. It's been, and it's been destroyed. And there are accounts of, mm. of various agencies, um, whether military or, you know, other intelligence um, agencies who have destroyed like, documents that are really important to, to knowing the details. Right. So, and that's, so, uh, that's part of the farce about this. That's right. part of the whole farce about this is that uh, obviously there's a conspiracy. Obviously the CIA and whoever else, Lyndon B. Johnson's people, were involved in this assassination of JFK, obviously. Um, and the idea that any actual documents incriminating those people and incriminating the CIA, the idea that they would have been kept and stuffed in an archive somewhere is laughable. So the whole idea about releasing these documents as a way, as, as a means to transparency is complete and utter nonsense because the documents that would provide real transparency, i.e. point to the culprits, were burned the day after. So what kind of transparency does anybody expect? But still, in these documents, the, the extent of or the, the flagrancy or the blatancy of uh, or the blatant nature of... of um, of CIA, deep state, whatever you want to call it, involvement in the assassination of, of, of Kennedy is evident even in the documents that they kept mm-hmm. for any sane person, even in, in, in these watered down, you know, redacted documents that they actually kept that does not necessarily, does not incriminate anyone. There's more than enough evidence within those to, for any sane person to conclude that clearly there was, this was a, a CIA hit on JFK and everybody knows it and yet the media plays this stupid ridiculous mind-numbing inane game of pretending that there's still some doubt well, maybe we can um, into some of the details you know yes. just a little tidbit. well the other thing I wanted to mention on the, oh, yeah. on, the re- on the on the on release of these documents yesterday Trump said that he was going to release the rest of them mm-hmm. after ordering the release of the 2800 files he said he would release them all yesterday in a tweet um, and he, all he would do would would uh, would be to 
remove or redact the names of any people who are still living who are mentioned in them. Mm-hmm. So apparently all of those documents, Harrison, that you said that they're keeping, they're not. They're going to release them off. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I have a question on the subject of Trump's uh, approach to this whole thing, because I think a week or two ago he tweeted and sounded rather enthusiastic yeah. uh, about Very interesting. <laughs> yes, as, as though he expected uh, some important information to be divulged. And, uh, and then, um, you know, just this last week tweeted, uh, you know, as you said, Harrison, a moment ago, uh, nope, you know, it, it looks like for security, national security purposes, we're going to have to hold off on this. Um, do you think that uh, on his part, there was an interest in uh, some kind of sincere disclosure? And like everything else, he had to bow down to deep state dictates on um, waiting a while. Uh, or yeah, he did. Just I mean, he said, he said as much himself. Mm-hmm. He said in, in a tweet, that he I, said that he's, he, has, he has no choice yeah. but to, uh, you know, kind of submit to uh, the requests of, of the CIA and the FBI to um, withhold documents. But now apparently he, he's, he's um, the only the only problem with that was that there might be names of people who are still alive. So apparently you now that was their that was their concern. And of course these people in the CIA and FBI uh, that's the only concern because they know that there's nothing in these documents that is not already in the public domain. There have been hundreds, if not thousands, of books written by scholars and investigators on the JFK assassination who had access to to these materials and all of this evidence that is supposedly being released now, and it's in books. It's all there already. Anybody who's read any of the books, it's all in the books. And far more, in fact, mm-hmm. is in the books that have been written on the JFK assassination than, than anything contained in these files, except the fact that there may be new documents, as we're saying, in these files that basically uh, give credence or, or back up in a kind of circumstantial way uh, uh, the, 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 the evidence uh, for the assassination. For mm-hmm. the for this being an inside an inside job, mm-hmm. well, and one of the like one of the advantages is just for kind of like pure history. Um, there are some JFK researchers, um, like one guy has posted a, a few articles on uh, the Who What Why website run by Russ Baker, who wrote a great book uh, on the <clears throat> on the Bush family, Family of Secrets, and like just just to give an example of something that can be gleaned from these sorts of documents, he wrote an article just based on his like preliminary investigation of the last release of like some 3000 documents that was back in like June or July of last or this year or last year. I can't remember. But um, one of the things he's been doing is like looking through um, like the CIA, CIA documents and the kind of um, um, what are they called? Like the code names for certain like CIA operatives. And by, by looking at all these details, you can basically get a picture of who was who and what they were doing and certain like, you know, special operations and things like that. And just basically rounding out the, the, kind, the, the kind of secret operational history of the CIA in, you know, to a degree that you wouldn't have been able to do several years ago. But, you know, again, that's just, I mean, it's kind of like academic. Um, there might be some interesting things in there, but, you know, it doesn't really get to the heart of the, the JFK assassination. Um, but as for the, the the documents that have been released, I mean, there have been some, you know, some interesting things. Um, no smoking guns, like we've said several times. But just as a couple examples, <clears throat> two uh, have to do with, like, redactions, for example. Like, there's one from the 70s, which was a, 
um, a hearing where they were interviewing Richard Helms, who was an ex-CIA director. And they ask him, basically, oh, well, what can you tell us about, you know, the evidence that Oswald was a CIA agent? And then the document ends there, and it doesn't include Helms' response. Right. <laughs> because, like several researchers have, have, you know, figured out, based on existing documents and, you know, interviews with people and basically, like, you know, the whole whole of evidence, it really, it's strongly suggested that, uh, that Oswald was a CIA agent or asset of some sort. And you kind of, you can't ignore that, but the fact that they, you know, they wouldn't even include Helms's response to that, even if it was a denial. So it makes right. you wonder, well, what, what did he say? Did he deny it? If he denied it, why, you know, why redact it? And if he mm-hmm. didn't, you know, well, what did he say? And, you know, and could it have something to do with that, uh, you know, that whole section of the the CIA report on, on Oswald that, you know, mysteriously went missing? Um, so mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting. And then there's there's this um, memo dictated by J. Edgar Hoover in like the like three days or something after the assassination, uh, the day after Oswald was shot by Jack Ruby, where he's basically um, like calling out the the Dallas police and kind of being like, oh, you know, you guys couldn't have done this without us. You're taking too much of the credit, you know we tracked down the rifle, we got the fingerprints off of the paper bag, and we did this. And uh, in this memo, he says that, um, you know, I don't have it in front of me, but paraphrasing, the, the, the most important thing is that we convince the public that Oswald was the real assassin. And he says that, like, real assassin. And if you just stop and think about that, like, who would say that, right? Why would, right. If, he was the, if he was the real assassin... Would you say that? No, you'd just say, okay, well, if he was just worried about, like, you know, PR or propaganda that was saying that Oswald wasn't the assassin when he really was, you'd just say, oh, you know, we really need the evidence to be able to prove to the people that Oswald was the assassin. It's like, hmm. why the real assassin? Like, is there a fake assassin? Were there other assassins? Yeah. It's just very suggestive yeah. that he's aware it's, that, you know, that the story was bullcrap. Well, it's, pro- it's protesting too much, right? It falls yeah. into that category of a person protesting too much or, or saying, uh, being too emphatic in their statements uh, in that context is, is very suspicious. It reminds me of that guy, um, I can't remember his name, Mark, someone or other on 9-11, who yeah. was, a, uh, he was, he was a, a kind of a reporter at large or, or a freelance journalist for, uh, for various mainstream media newspapers, and he was interviewed in the morning of 9-11, and he stands up there and he says, well, yeah, I saw the... Uh, uh, no, he says, I witnessed. <laughs> yes, uh, I witnessed the two planes barreling straight into those two buildings, and I saw the, uh, the you know, the, the, the jet fuel uh, explode out, and uh, it seems to me that that jet fuel caused a uh, weakening of the structural integrity of the main beams, and uh, those beams collapsed due to uh, structural failure. <laughs> okay, thanks. Right. Well, you should have written the, uh, the, the, the NIST report then, right there and then. I mean, you more or less did. Good job. Wow. Are you some kind of... Uh, you know, you got a crystal ball there, dude. <laughs> so uh, that kind of stuff when you hear people saying that after this kind of thing, where when nobody knows anything, is like, uh, yeah. He could just be very clever. Yeah, he could be very clever. That's one possibility. Um, like a fox, clever. But the thing about Oswald is, like, um, you know, they the only <laughs> just just the basics of of the JFK assassination is that you know, so Os- Oswald was working up in the uh, book depository as a kind of part-time or whatever, just doing janitorial work, whatever. Not much. And all they found was uh, his fingerprints on a paper bag, um, like a lunch bag. Uh, and they, that's what they used to uh, incriminate him. 
um, they, in fact, the, the real kind of evidence against Oswald is the fact that he allegedly shot Officer Tibbet uh, when Oswald Tibbet went in to uh, arrest, had an ID on they, they put out a description of, of the person they're looking for, obviously Oswald, because he was planned to be the, the fall guy from the beginning. And this officer, Tibbet, he may have been in on it. He goes in, finds Oswald in the movie theater, drags him out, and then uh, we don't even know if Oswald actually shot him, but uh, this officer, Tibbet, was actually shot. And um, and it's on, on that basis that they um, basically blamed, uh, ID'd Oswald as the... Um, as, as a culprit for the JFK assassination. Not that he shot JFK, because the only evidence for that is that there were, there were fingers, fingerprints on a paper bag, a lunch bag, in the school book, book depository, uh, where he worked. Well, what do you expect? His fingerprints are going to be on a lot of things, because he works there, right? Um, but this shooting of Officer Tibbet, and there are eyewitnesses at the time that this guy, Officer Tibbet, was shot, that Oswald didn't shoot him, that it was somebody else in the group of people that were around that shot Officer Tibbet. So that's the only evidence that Oswald uh, was had anything to do with this, apart from all of the sheep dipping they have done beforehand uh, and, and the fact that he was a CIA agent, but really a CIA patsy in the sense where he's a kind of young, naive guy who was, you know, thought he was playing a kind of spook game, but he was being set up for this assassination. And then they arrest him for this, for this uh, assassination of JFK. There's no real hard evidence for it. Uh, the only evidence, if he didn't shoot Officer Tibbet, as eyewitnesses said, who were then hushed up, the whole case against Oswald falls apart, but they arrest him anyway. Say that say that he's the real assassin, as you were saying, Harrison. Take him into the Dallas uh, jail, uh, give him no protection whatsoever, um, and then someone comes along, shoots shoots him, dead, and, and that's it. He doesn't get to testify. He doesn't get to say one word, except in footage when the as he was being taken from the uh, like a uh, somewhere within the jail to uh, to the jail cell. He's walking past, and there are cameras there trying from the media trying to get a, a word out of him. And somebody shouts, one of the journalists shouts a question at him. Did you kill JFK? And he said, no, sir, I didn't kill anybody. And then he's ushered straight out of the room, down into the cell. The next day, he shot. Without saying another word. The only words he said was, I did not shoot anyone. And on his way out the door, I'm just a patsy. And, and I'm just a patsy, exactly. So that's the testimony of the guy who... who, who who's accused of shooting JFK, and all of the evidence points to him being a patsy and not having shot anyone. But he's dead. And this is, this is the case. This is, this is the case that we're meant to believe as a hard and fast, open and closed, shut case, basically, at this point. Oswald did it. Everybody knows it. Give me a break, you idiot people. I mean, they take us for absolute fools. Yeah. They, they, learn, the mis- they learn from that mistake. Now the patsy doesn't lit doesn't survive. Yeah. He's shaped it beforehand right. and he's dead at the scene. Right. Case closed. You say, hey, hey, young, foolish, naive guy, want to work, want to be a spy for the CIA? Come and do stuff in the six months before you're going to set him up. Get him to go to different places. You know, all sorts of different manipulations to get him to be in certain places and to say certain things and, and, uh, and to be on record as, uh, you know, or you can, you can manufacture records that they seem to have done also with his alleged, uh, communication with the, uh, uh, phone call. Somebody made a phone call claiming to be Oswald calling the Soviet embassy in Mexico. Uh, that's part of the, of course, part of the background of him being a Soviet agent working for the, working for the Soviets to kill JFK. It's just so laughable, the whole thing. 
Um, so yeah, you get this guy. You put put him put him through this uh, process of of framing him effectively while he doesn't know what it's for. Framing him as a, as a patsy for a future assassination. Somebody else kills JFK. You grab the guy, say he did it. Put him in jail. Somehow kill him. Get somebody to kill him. Done. There you go. That's the end of the story. And it's ridiculous, you know. Um, it's not hard to see why the charade must continue. This is coming now at a time when more than ever they're worried about the president. More, I haven't been this worried about the president since JFK. Yeah. So you can see why the, the charade must go on. There's, I mean, there's other evidence. I mean, this has been in public domain as well, but it was also referenced in, in one of the files where you have um, the... There, the, there's a there's basically a bullet hole and it, you can see it in our slideshow today there was a guy on not on the grassy knoll but on the grass version the opposite side of the grassy knoll who was taking pictures I can't remember his name right now it begins with A um, he was taking photographs and he got photographs of the limo as it drove past and uh, you can see it in our slideshow there's a picture of the limo and he took one from took several but there's one uh looking, you know, as the limo passed, looking towards, pointing towards the limo, so he has a view of, of kind of secret service agents, and there's a, you can see a bit of Jackie Kennedy moving up at the back of the, when she runs to the back of the thing to try and grab some of JFK's brain, basically, and the, and the drivers, but you can see pretty clearly the windscreen has a bullet hole in it. And then there's, in, the, in some of these documents, <clears throat> there's a, a document that uh, cites the statements of the owner of the shop that the limo was taken to afterwards to have the windscreen replaced. And he says, well, I've been in this business for a long time. I know about glass. It was glass replacement uh, business. And he says pretty clear, uh, there was a bullet hole in the, in, the, in the windscreen, in the windshield. And you could see pretty clearly that it was fired from the front because there was a clean hole in the front and it was broken shards on the, on the inside. Uh, so, And then several other people in the public domain already uh, have corroborated that where they said they could see um, uh, a bullet hole and they put a, with a couple of policemen actually said yeah, it was a pretty straight up bullet hole you could put a pencil through it in fact he did put a pencil through it um, so someone shot him from the front <clears throat> of course that's corroborated by the uh, Zapruder uh, film like as what do you call him uh, a comedian um Back into the left. Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks. Back into the left, yeah. Makes you wonder, you know, back into the left, back into the left. And Oswald was behind him, right? Okay, yeah. Let me try and work that one out. Duh. Um, this is kind of BS they try and pass off on people, you know, and it just infuriates me that the media is, you know, are they retards? No, obviously not retards. They're actively Sick engaged. Offense. Actively engaged in a, in a cover-up while accusing other people of being the, the conspirators. Accusing the public of being the conspirators, the conspiracy theorists. Um, well, uh, just on that point, there. Yeah, well, let me. Can I just finish on the on the windshield thing? The windshield. So, so they this guy took it in to his shop. It was taken to his shop. Um, people removed the windshield, uh, and it was destroyed. And they because they wanted to replace it, and they did this very quickly. I think on the same day they replaced uh, the windshield and threw away the one with the bullet hole in it, destroyed it. And replaced it, but then apparently in the days afterwards, <clears throat> the authorities, CAA, FBI, whoever wanted to have a windshield, uh, they didn't want to 
admit that they had destroyed the windshield. You know, it was kind of evidence. You know, what, well, how do you know? Maybe a bullet hit it. You can't just destroy evidence like that, right? So they got, a, they replaced the one with a bullet hole in it. But then they told them they wanted it replaced again, and they used the excuse that it was damaged or it was, uh, it had like it was scuffed on the inside or whatever. So they wanted that one replaced. You give us the defective windshield. So, and then that one, the first replacement was taken by the FBI and is now on display in a JFK museum. As the actual windshield. As the one. Because they want, they need one. It's just like, and thereafter it becomes false history. Right. You can go and look at it, you know, and, and believe the myth, you know. Um, yeah, go ahead, Alan. Well, uh, there have been like a couple of items that were mentioned um, regarding in particular General Lansdale and these plans for false flag attacks uh, against Americans that would have been blamed on Cuba uh, that, that have been kind of implied in, in some of these right. um, in some of these uh, these papers. And, it, you know, just to make myself crazy every so often, you know, I'll read about this and then I'll go on to like Yahoo News and see how a, an outlet like um, International Business Times will, will cover uh, this story. And, um, and it's like, it's like they'll, they'll mention some of these things and yet the implications of, of the type of thinking that goes into CIA false flags when it's right there, when they're actually writing about it, it's like, it's like uh, they're talking about the recipe for apple pie. Um, mm. There, there is absolutely no thought or curiosity or extrapolation made from the the types of uh, really horrible information that they even are including in their reports about these uh, JFK um, notes. So mm. uh, it, it's just a it's just a wonder to me. Uh, they they they. They don't go in any kind of direction that would um, that would open up the minds of, of people, and that's pretty much their uh, their remit. Their remit. Mm-hmm. They want to uh, just present this information, and you know, it, it reminds me a little bit uh, of seven or six or seven years ago when the Pentagon came out with these uh, these video clips of. Um, of uh, supposedly, I think it was Flight 77 flying into the Pentagon. It was just a few more frames of absolutely nothing. Right. Uh, they show it, and that is supposed to cover uh, all of your questions. That That's supposed mm-hmm. to be the answer to everything. End of story. Don't yeah. think anymore. And, and It's like, there it is, right there. Don't you see it? Don't you see yeah. the big plane? No. Well, there's something wrong with you if you don't see it. It's right there. It's gaslighting, you know? Um the, yeah, so in these documents, there's also stuff about um, not specifically relating to uh, JFK, as you mentioned, uh, Alan. Also about the the that the who was the Department of Defense, I think, considered uh, ideas about um, you know planting bombs in Miami and blaming it on Cuba as um, blowing up an airliner and blaming it on Cuba blowing up an airliner coming from Cuba or going to Cuba, whatever, you know, basically with American citizens. And I thought maybe maybe it could be a decoy, a fake one, and we could say it was a real one. So they toyed with these ideas of what are classic false flag operations. 
but that's all known as well. And obviously, it's Operation Northwoods that's already been around for for twenty years. Um, but there's also um, so so they had these ideas of you know how to they, they were thinking about you know in theory killing or maiming Americans and blaming Cuba in order to wage a war on Cuba and get rid of the, the Cuban government. Um, but supposedly that didn't happen. But you, it, it's evidence that these people. Um, Consider the idea, this idea of have considered, have seriously considered the idea of killing American citizens in service to uh, their agenda, whatever they decide their agenda is, uh, whatever their agenda is. So, um, but there's also in in 1970 uh, in 1976 there was a a Cuban. Uh, Flight, a commercial flight, flight 455 of Cuban Airlines, or whatever that uh, that was brought down by a, a, a terrorist uh, bomb attack, and 73 people on board <coughs> uh, were killed. So most of them uh, Cubans. In fact, the entire um, national Cuban fencing team um, was killed, uh, and they had just come back. They were on their way back. I think it was it was on on, on route on route from um, Barbados to Jamaica. And they had just come back, the Cuban fencing team had just come back from uh, the World Championships where they had won a gold medal. Uh, and this bomb blew the plane up, basically, and it crashed. And everybody was killed, uh, and 73 people in total, many of them teenagers. And uh, this bombing was carried out by um, so-called anti-Castro Cuban exiles, which are obviously most of them, if not all of them, were directly funded and armed and you know trained by the CIA. And one of them one of the ringleaders of it being this guy, Luis uh, Posada Cariles, who is still alive today. He's an 88-year-old man, and he's still an, uh, an asshat, basically. Um, and he wrote about it, basically, in, in a book he published uh, called uh, Caminos del Guerrero, or Ways of the Warrior, basically, where he basically said how he did it and how it happened, and he knew all about it, and blah, blah, blah. And he was, this guy, uh, Posada Cariles, is a known, uh, officially known uh, CIA asset, of course, they say that they stopped interacting with him in the same year that this bombing occurred, but who believes that, you know? Um, so, and, and this guy was basically, he was allowed to, to go free, you know, there was extraditions of him from here and there in different places. Uh, Cuba obviously wanted him, but the U.S. Uh, never uh, accepted that. And he now lives in, in America, and he's 88 years old, and he's never been, he spent a year or two in jail or something, but he's never been done any time for his uh, his his murder of 73 people on behalf of the CIA. It was an attack on a Cuban airline airliner as part of the CIA's uh, war on on Cuba. It was an attempt to destabilize the Cuban government by blowing up a plane uh, full of mostly Cuban people. Mm. And the CIA did it. Uh, very clearly. Uh, uh, with one degree of separation, which was they got a Cuban nutjob and some of his friends, anti-Castro Cuban nutjobs, to do it. They gave him the bomb and, and they put that put it on the plane and, and they blew it up. So the CIA did that, i.e. the CIA blew up a plane full of 73 innocent civilians. Uh, but you're not allowed to say that, even though all of the evidence is right there. Um, so yeah, the CIA are a bunch of uh, murdering psychos. And that's all I have to say about JFK. There's a question in the chat room. If this is from Daniel, if the CIA or shadow operatives orchestrated his assassination, 
Why would they even attempt to leave a paper trail behind? They didn't leave a paper trail behind. They burned all the documents. Mm-hmm. All of these, all of these. I mean, there's there's a big bureaucracy around this. There's police involved. There's FBI involved, and there's you know hundreds of agents and stuff. So, and they have to file paperwork. They have to keep up the pretense of of doing. Uh, a proper investigation, etc. But it, all the while, there's people looking over their shoulders, making sure that nothing actually incriminating gets uh, into uh, get, get, gets kept or gets gets put in the archives. And, and in fact, maybe some stuff that is semi-incriminating did get into the archives, but they're the, they're the things that are redacted or, or won't get released. You know, we'll have to see if Trump's going to actually if, if you know and this idea of Trump deciding did he read all of the documents. In order to decide to release them, does anybody believe that? No. Really, I mean that's a simple question because no. Trump is supposedly approving the release of these documents. Did he read them all? All, uh, you know, probably a million words or something. Uh, he's been. He must. I don't know. He's been pretty busy in over the past. I don't know, seven or eight months reading every single document and making sure that. Hmm. Let me see. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Maybe we should redact that one. Will we release that one? Mm, him and the CIA are chatting about it. No, they're not. Of course they're not. This, this is it's a farce. The whole thing is a complete farce. Yeah, oh, exactly. Only the, wonder, only the ones that uh, under 140 characters, <coughs> as White Coast <laughs> says in the chat room. They're the ones that he checked. <coughs> anyway, I don't know what to say about JFK. What is it now? 53, 54 years. <laughs> It was, 54 it, years next month. And it was obvious from day one. 54 years. Who could put up with that? Like 54 years of BS, of unmitigated bullshit from the media about this obvious assa- inside assassination. I mean, means, motive, and opportunity all over the place, up the wazoo from day one. And 54 years later, you still have to read the mainstream media going, hmm, this conspiracy theory just won't die down. It seems to still have a lot of traction among some people. I just want to punch people in the face. <laughs> um, Trump uh, touched on this today. He, he's been on a, another Twitter binge um, lately. He, he was tweeting today mostly about, I think it's about Russiagate largely. But in a, fo- yeah. in a follow-up, in an apparently unconnected tweet or series of tweets, he says, after strict consultation, consultation with General Kelly, the CIA and other agencies, uh, this is where he says, I'll be releasing all the JFK files other than names and addresses of anyone mm-hmm. still alive. Um, I'm doing this for reasons of full disclosure, transparency, and in order to put any and all conspiracy theories to rest. Right, in order to increase my approval ratings. What's bizarre about it is that he said that after firing off the series of tweets um, in which he says he's never seen such Republican anger and unity concerning the lack of investigation into Clinton's fake dossier and the uranium deal to Russia. That's a conspiracy theory, Mr. President Trump. I thought you were putting those to rest. Put them all to bed. Don't be talking conspiracy theories. They don't exist. They're fantasy. What's wrong with you? Are you schizophrenic or something? There's no conspiracy theory about JFK and there's no conspiracy theory 
that has any sense or makes any sense about Hillary Clinton or uranium or Russiagate or anything. Get your story straight. He finishes by saying there's so much guilt in capital letters by Democrats slash Clinton. And now the facts are pouring out and finishes all caps do something. I'm not sure. I think he's saying Republicans do something, mm. get Clinton. But of course, Russia gate is not really about Clinton. It's about the deep state. At least that's how I've seen it to date. Of course. Yeah. And, well. and I figure that when Trump's bashing first Obama, now Clinton, and the Democrats in general, over them using it as a witch hunt against him, hmm. he knows perfectly well that what he's really up against is an entrenched deep state. Yeah, well, Clinton can be part of the deep state. Right. Because okay. she was a, you know, a civvy for most of her years in politics or hanging on to politics but as a result of her slick willy husband being being the, yeah. a, the, the, the sexual abuser-in-chief. So, But he's careful to bash the establishment along accepted political lines, right? Right. Well, who are you going but to knows point the finger well at? Who, well, but like when he says, you're fake media, he knows mm. he's pointing the finger at the CIA. Right, but he's not like, that they are they, they who shall not be named. Right. And, exactly. and, and for good reason, because who are you going to point to? But the after director? His, his plea to do something, he then follows up with, oh, by the way, um, all's good, I've been talking to the CIA, and... Um, Mm. We're going to get all of those files released yeah. in the interest of ensuring there was, you know, you're all satisfied. There was no conspiracy. There's no conspiracy, or there is a conspiracy. What the hell is it? Mm. And it's just the the political schizophrenia of it. I'm, yeah. I'm using the term used by by Putin earlier this year. Yeah, is just so. It's so it's so mind-boggling. Even if you were a smart Trump supporter and you were sort of trying to read between the lines of what he says, it jumps all over the place. You can't. Mm. Um, I think it speaks to his inco- either his incomprehension of it, his inability to do anything about it, really. Right. Um, but in one of those tweets, he also mentioned when he's talking about you know uh, he's never seen so much anger and whatever he said resolve or. Uh, anger, anger, and unity. Anger and unity among Republicans about uh, about getting Clinton, about the non-investigation of Clinton and Comey and all that kind of stuff. That whole conspiracy, effectively uh, sur- surrounding uh, RussiaGate and the creation of this dossier, uh, this dodgy dossier that was you know smeared Trump right at the beginning uh, of this year. Um, he also mentioned that uh, the he mentioned twelve million dollars was uh, paid to. We presume this fusion GPS uh, group that is basically an organization that's, uh, that that dedicates itself to, to digging up dirt on anybody you want and creating fake dossiers, it's fake incriminating dossiers, private intel, yeah, uh, for anybody, they work for anybody as long as you pay them enough. Uh, these are the people who produced this dossier via this uh, former uh, MI6 guy, uh, Steele, in the... Uh, in the UK, who put the dossier together? So Fusion GPS, according to Trump, in one of his tweets just uh, yesterday or today, um, claimed made reference to twelve million dollars. You know, he's very short. Obviously, tweets are kind of short, but he's very uh, laconic on the on the on the details. But um, he um, he may mention twelve million dollars, which we presume means that they were paid twelve million dollars by Hillary or by Hillary Clinton Foundation or by the Democratic Convention or by somebody in the Democrats or. 
got $12 million, give it to Fusion GPS, who give some of it to uh, Steel, who then uh, put together this dossier. And of course, that's kind of like, that's a lot of money for producing a crappy dossier, you know, where you just, um, you know, you know, imagine a bunch of salacious scenarios and, and, and write them down and type them up as if they're actual uh, real real documents. Um, but it's uh, it's kind of like danger money in a certain sense because you'd have to pay someone a lot more uh, than than you would normally pay them simply to investigate something and find actual documents. If you're, if you're asking them to actually manufacture documents, there's kind of danger money involved in that because, well, it's risky, you know. Well, when, when Golden Gate broke in January, Steele eventually popped up and says, I'm feeling threatened. I'm in danger of being assassinated by right. the Kremlin. Right. <laughs> and it's like, shut up, Steele. You got a few million for it. That's what you were paid to do, you idiot. Well, one of the, one of the many scandals wrapped up in this larger scandal is that, uh, well, I think Trump's being kind of loose with the numbers because uh, as far as I know, we don't know exactly how much Fusion GPS got yet and mm. and also how, how much Steele got. What we know is that um, the Democratic National Convention, the DNC, paid their law firm um, six $6 million, and then there was another like $5 million. And I think that's where you know Trump got the $12 million, is by just adding up two of mm-hmm. these ex- legal expenses. So they, played, they paid their, <clears throat> their law firm for what they included on their tax return, you know, their, their financial documents, as um, um, legal expenses. And with one subset of um, uh, research consultation. Now, mm. what some what some um, you know legal experts are saying is that the, the the DNC basically broke the law right there because they are required by law to to say exactly what their any expense over two hundred dollars is for, and by mm. saying research cons- consultation and legal expenses. That is not what they were involved in. They were giving money for opposition research, so that should have been listed for as opposition research. So what mm-hmm. they basically did is they, you know, they they paid their law firm and got their law firm to hire Fusion GPS um, without mm-hmm. any kind of, um, you know, and basically trying to muddy the waters so that you couldn't be able to tell that that's you wouldn't be able to tell that that's what they did by looking at their forms. Mm-hmm. You just say, oh, they just spent you know ten, twelve million dollars on you know legal fees without mm-hmm. knowing that 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 uh, you know. Who knows how much of that money actually went to to this opposition research that, that then went to to steal to create this fake dossier? So, right. so some lawyers are saying that the the DNC could actually, um, you know, face legal, um, you know, consequences for basically lying on their returns like this. Right, it's kind of money laundering, you know, for the purpose of payment. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. put it through various different channels so that uh, there's no transparency. Mm-hmm. Uh, although. Obviously, it's not hard to figure that out. Um, yeah, I don't know. JFK is rolling in his grave. He's sick. Of, he's sick of this nonsense as well. I'm sure. Okay. Uh, anything else on that? Um, I don't think so. Maybe we can move on to Catalonia. Barcelona. <laughs> um, yeah, Barcelona. So, what's the latest? What's the all latest about? I, the latest I've seen is that there are protests going on all over the place. Because, yeah. well, well, maybe we can get to that. So, so what prompted these these um, these protests? What's the exact timeline of events? So, 
So last week, the Spanish government basically said they were going to invoke Article 155 of the Spanish Constitution and basically, you know, take direct control of of Catalonia and and then but it still had to wait until like the for the Senate to confirm it or something like that. So then that actually just happened on what Thursday or Friday. And Thursday, yep. Yeah, so on Thursday and they basically dissolved the well, legally, you know, from Madrid dissolved the Catalonian parliament, um fired a bunch of people, said they were, you know, uh, they could press charges against many of the leaders involved behind the involved in uh, basically organizing the referendum, and then the Catalonian Parliament basically voted for independence. Is that right? Did I get the timeline right on all that? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Mm, what did you say? Say it all again. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, they they had their the Catalonian Parliament had a vote. On whether or not to declare independence, mm-hmm. a, a, a smaller half walked out, and of the rest who remained, a majority. Yeah, I think basically a total majority. The, yeah, the Catalonian Parliament has 130 uh, MPs or seats in it, and um, the these there are two separatist parties. The main one with this guy, this guy Puigdemont, is the leader of, uh, has about has 62 seats, and then there's another separatist party which has 10 seats. So together they have 72 seats out of 130. Um, most of the rest of the seats, um, less than 50 percent, are um, are taken up by the uh, the two mainstream parties, kind of left and right uh, in Spain proper, uh, the uh, Partido Popular Party, the Conservative. Popular Party and the, the Socialist P- PSOE, PSOE, or whatever you want to call them. So um, they walked out and didn't vote. Therefore, you had uh, a vote without them of um, about uh, something like uh, 75 or 76 or something. So um, you had all of the 72 of the separatist, two separatist parties voting for um, and a couple most of them on a couple of abstentions or something. and But anyway, uh, it was basically only the separatist MPs who were voting because the rest had walked out um, and they voted overwhelmingly for to declare independence. And the, previously, the Madrid government had said that uh, they had proposed the activation of this Article 155, which is, in theory, allows them to uh, dissolve uh, uh, well, it doesn't allow them to dissolve the parliament. It allows them to rescind or withdraw uh, independence for the region of Catalonia. So they tabled that uh, last week and said that it just needs to go to the Senate for approval. So they were obviously just waiting. It was obviously it was a foregone conclusion that the Senate was going to approve it. <clears throat> they were just waiting to see what the Catalan separatists would do. And when they had their vote, uh, voting to declare independence uh, on Thursday, I think, immediately afterwards, within five minutes, the Madrid government put out this uh, statement saying, well, the Senate apparently just coincidentally just approved the activation of Article 155. Uh, so, which means that, you know, in, as, there, as far as Madrid's concerned, that means, well, your independence is, or your statement or declaration of independence is not on void. Um, then went on to kind of claim that they had dissolved <clears throat> the Catalan Parliament, Madrid had, you know, just by saying it, they had dissolved it and they had fired the, the leader of the, the main party there, this guy Puigdemont. <clears throat> he was now fired and 
the parliament was dissolved and direct control was being more or less taken by Madrid and uh, and that they called uh, for elections, new elections uh, on the 21st of December mm-hmm. when they hope or assume that uh, there's going to be a change in the configuration within the Catalan parliament and it'll be a majority of <coughs> members of that parliament will be um, from parties from parties that are against independence and pro-unity. Uh, so um, we'll have to wait and see what happens, but immediately after that happened on Thursday night, I think, um, there were kind of some violent clashes and a few people got punched and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> and since then, there's been various rallies between for, on, on both sides. There's one just today, uh, a, a unity rally, and we had people waving Spanish flags, basically the percentage of people in in Catalonia, who uh, who don't want to be independent and want to remain part of Spain or loyal to loyal to Spain, um, but uh, the pro- the problem the problem is that it's fundamentally kind of un- undemocratic in in a sense, you know, um, because in any other country, uh, it really doesn't matter how many people <clears throat> in the country um, there are, if you know what I mean, the number of people who are, are voting age or are eligible to vote, if they don't vote, then their their voice is, uh, is, is not relevant, is, is, is discarded, you know. It's only the people who actually vote. Now, the, obviously, uh, up until today, the <clears throat> since there was a majority in the Catalan parliament of separatist members of parliament, they were the biggest party, that means that... Uh, people who voted in the last Catalan elections voted for, a majority of people voted for independence. A lot of people may have abstained or um, uh, or not voted at all, at all, but in that case, uh, as is the norm in, in, in democratic countries or democracies, uh, well, they're irrelevant. Like, take the example of, of, of the US or any Western European country, really. <clears throat> uh, recently, I mean, in the last US election, uh, what it was 50, about 55% of the voting population actually voted, and Trump got <clears throat> 50% of that. So Trump got about 20, so about 27% of the voting population in America voted for Trump. Well, that's certainly not a majority or anywhere close to a majority. Um, but the problem is that almost half of the people who could vote didn't vote. So what do you do with them? You only find out what they want. Uh, in this case with Catalonia, we find out what they want when when it comes to a crisis situation, and then they're all willing to put their uh, to, to you know to put their put their hand in basically and, um, and and to make their voices heard. But they didn't do it through previously through the through the the voting process through the electoral process. So um, people have been talking about street tank potentially tanks in the streets and stuff uh, that uh, for Madrid to actually take control of of Catalonia in this way. And they would have to do it by force. They'll have to put in a lot of uh, policemen from other parts of Spain who are loyal to Madrid, etc. Um, but that that hasn't actually happened yet. I think they're hoping to do it in a kind of peaceful way. They hope that um, that the the separatists will just kind of like accept it now. Although this guy Puigdemont has, has said that he's he's not recognizing the statement from Madrid that he's been fired. Uh, the Catalan Parliament has uh, been dissolved. And he's calling on the people to get out and protest and resist any there, attempts. There's one key Catalan who has accepted his um, dismissal. That's the chief of police of the mm-hmm. Mossas 
the squad back. The chief was was the chief booted. Uh, Trapero had been replaced, and he's being investigated by Madrid for sedition. Right, and he went out peaceably, and he encouraged his former colleagues to accept and be loyal to whoever his replacement was. Mm-hmm. Um, two other people, well, they've been under arrest for a while. People involved, people from among the separatists who organized the referendum, they're still being held um, without charge in jail. Um, but so far, no more arrests that I know of anyway, not at the key figures. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of, a, a, in a certain sense, a smart move. It's, I mean, this whole process over the past couple of months has been a, a kind of like a game of chance, a game of chess or a kind of a, an upping of the ante and different moves by both sides to try and uh, kind of checkmate the other in a certain sense. And this this move by Madrid, which is, you know, dissolving the parliament, telling them that that's what happened, you're fired, uh, Prime Minister Puigdemont is fired, the parliament is dissolved, Madrid's taking direct control. I mean, they have to hope that people will simply <clears throat> accept that, say, okay, well, whatever, and that, and then the promise of elections relatively soon, within um, less than two months, in de- on December 21st, will give them an opportunity to really see Given the given the, the the kind of chaos that has been prevailing over the past uh, few weeks, that it's better now to have uh, new elections and see how people feel in six weeks or so uh, at uh, at that time. See how they, they everybody feels and and to try and galvanise a lot of those people who maybe didn't vote, who were sitting on the fence, who didn't want to express their their opinion in previous uh, elections in Catalonia um, for or against. Uh, independence or the people who voted for lesser parties like the Greens and stuff like that, that they'll be able to galvanize those people um, to vote for uh, remaining a part of uh, Spain and therefore you'll have a legitimate democratic vote where a majority of people say in Catalonia say we want to remain a part of Spain and that'll put the whole independence business to, to bed or to rest for Forever. Uh, no, for 60, 80 years, which is apparently how often this flares up. Mm. So I was thinking last week, well, it's been 500 years since there was, Catalonia has, has not been a part of Spain, but actually there is there is a pattern of, it does it does rear its head quite mm. often, at least once a century. Mm. Um, for what it's worth, a poll published in El Mundo newspaper Conducted last week from among a thousand Catalans, put it at 43.5% against cessation from Spain and 425 in favour. Mm. Don't know if that's fake news what or about the other? if that's probably close to it being a knife-edge decision, you know. What about the other 15, 15, 16%? Undecided, I guess. All right. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a sop to people, or it's a, it's a, um, the, the promise of elections on December twenty first is a, is an attempt to everybody to calm down and uh, and wait until then, and then you'll be able to make your you know say your piece and uh, have your voice heard, basically. Uh, but they better hope that um, it doesn't just go back to the way it was before, or has been up until now, where a majority of people who actually go, go out and vote. Say that they want to be independent. I mean, what's it's, it's a bit of a risky, risky move because uh, what are they going to do then? You know. So it seems that Madrid must be fairly confident that, um, that one way or another, they can um, create the situation where, where 
uh, unity is is secured uh, through a democratic vote. Uh, of course, that is six weeks long enough to rig an election. Of course, uh, does this does this new uh, direct control from Madrid uh, mean that uh, that that Madrid will be organising the elections on December twenty first, and who'll be counting the votes? <laughs> you know that you have to raise that uh, raise that possibility there. You know. And of course, they would do it in such a way that it would be fifty-one forty-nine, right? Yeah. Um, well, even, even if it's only forty-two or forty-three percent, um, it seems like the Catalans uh, have really dug in their heels at this point. Those who are in support of secession, uh, you know, there are plans to, I think, surround certain institutions uh, with with their bodies. And uh, resist any kind of uh, incursion from Spanish uh, police and, and military forces to force any kind of new personnel into certain uh, institutions. So every time Spain does something uh, that, that's brutal and aggressive, uh, I think it, it just solidifies in the minds of those who are already uh, on board with seceding uh, with the idea that their choice is a correct one and mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't want to be oppressed by, by this uh, centralized authoritarian pro austerity uh, pro uh, imperialistic uh, regime um, mm-hmm. by, headed by Rajoy. Um, and it, it seems to me to be kind of symbolic of a, a much larger um, phenomena of, of, people in various places pushing for decentralization, pushing for, um, you know, uh, secession from... Love. Pushing for freedom. Freedom. They want freedom. Yes. Uh, You're right. This, totally. This, uh, California, this, Texas. Um, right. And it Flanders, has... Bavaria, Venice. A lot of these, uh, you know... Scotland. Pro-government groups, uh, pro-EU, pro-globalists groups uh, in fear uh, that this is a growing movement and and possibly the start of, you know, a precedent for a much worse, much bigger movement on the part of people who have been fed up with, uh, with, with these centralized, stupidly run governments in the West. So there is that. There is this international support of Rajoy, I think, on the part of the EU and other Western countries who don't want to see this getting uh, you know, growing in any in any well, larger every scale. every 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 single government that has issued a statement has issued one strongly in support of Madrid. Well, apparently Iceland. Oh, supported an anomaly, and not more than one. I think it looks like Finland. No, might be thinking about it. I well, I heard that this is it. I heard that Lapland. Some guy who's a governor from a region oh, right. of part of Latland, within a part of Finland, yeah. Okay. He's getting lots of support from other potential countries. Right. You see, what about Slovenia? Don't know, but I imagine I they heard... follow whatever Germany says. Well, they'll be put in line, yeah. Um, no, no, just everyone in the EU. Russia's no, 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 no. Russia's not opining on it at all. Oh well, they have. They have pretty said, clearly. No, they said an internal affair, right? Or, it, well, that's the same saying. But it's, not, it's different than coming out and saying we, we. Um, do not recognize Catalonian independence. Rather than you know, just simply saying 
none of our business is, is a better way, but pretty much the EU is clearly saying no to any breakup uh, of any part of any country in the EU because all your all your bases are belong to us. Are belong to us. Um, yeah, but it's interesting. It's kind of it's 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 not actually democratic. Uh, it's are not not democratic. It's not legal what Madrid is doing uh, technically. Because what they're invoking with this Article 155, it's very explicit Article 155, it says that Madrid has the power to oblige the uh, authorities in any of the autonomous regions in Spain, of which there are 13. So uh, Madrid in the Constitution has the right to oblige the authorities who are, you know, for want of a better word, going awry in some way or other, to, uh, it has the, the right and the power to force them to get back in line, basically. But the problem is that that obviously presupposes that the authorities in any of the regions would still exist, would still be there. But by firing Puigdemont, uh, the Prime Minister of Catalonia, and and dissolving the Parliament, there is no authority in Catalonia for Madrid to advise or to, to, to force or oblige, or oblige to do anything now. So it goes against, certainly it goes against the spirit of Article 155, if not the actual letter of it, because uh, nowhere in Article 155 does it say that Madrid can dissolve uh, the authorities in one of the regions and rule directly from Madrid. It does not say that anywhere. Uh, it only says that they can oblige them and use any means necessary to oblige them to conform with the law or whatever Madrid says, basically. But as I said, there is no authorities officially, according to Madrid, there's no authorities in Catalonia anymore to, to oblige. And therefore, they have to rule directly. But they want to keep it as short as possible. And that's why they've tabled these uh, uh, elections for December. And they're going to ruin Christmas for all the people in Catalonia. Because can you imagine? No doubt there's probably going to be stuff when that election happens that if the result, which it, it'll have to, I mean, Based on, on, on the very fact that they're doing this, it, it suggests that Madrid is sure, by hook or by crook, that they are going to get a majority of uh, anti-independence uh, parliamentarians in, in Catalonia on December 21st. And no doubt when that happens, uh, the separatists are going to cry foul and say, and maybe they'll have evidence that there was irregularities with the vote, you know. And that's just, you know what, that, that kind of creates a bit of a can, has the potential to create a, a, a pretty pretty big mess uh, if, if that, if that uh, claim is made, you know. Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's, it just, this, this situation doesn't seem like it's going to go away, despite what Madrid would like to see. It's not going to go away, and these, these elections aren't going to, I don't think they're going to solve any problems. I predict other regions do the same thing, not necessarily in Spain. Yeah. And I've said it before, I think this is symptomatic of the crisis in the West in general. Elan mentioned austerity. Well, just think about that for a second. Um, if you're talking about a central power and breaking free from its diktats, well, in Europe, the EU, the Troika, 
crushing, particularly in mm-hmm. the southern Mediterranean countries, crushing people. Um, they believe because they have to deliver the cure that will eventually, you know, make everything flourish again. And that creates a reaction. And that reaction has to go somewhere. It will manifest in some way or another. In, in Spain's case, it initially manifested like it did in Greece's with the creation of a new, quote-unquote, far-left party. Mm. Didn't do too well in elections. Was that because it wasn't popular? Was it fiddled with? Who knows? But still, the organic mass of reaction, that energy doesn't just disappear. Mm. It, it reconfigures. It has to find a way. And if yeah. the smallest crack, it'll come through that. And it's coming through in this form. Mm. Now, it's a little bit different, I suppose, because this is actually a wealthier part of Spain rather than a poorer mm. one. I think the only way, historically, um, the only way that uh, countries or regions or parts of countries become independent, uh, really become independent, is, um, is through some kind of violence, serious violence, like a war. Uh, because uh, once a lot of blood has been shed, then it's um, the people who are fo- fighting for that independence. Um, and the cases that they win or that it happens, they they say that um, you know too much. There's been too much suffering to not get what we have been fighting for. You know, so I think um, I think you know. Obviously, you don't want it to go there. Obviously, right? And uh, you know, in 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 a Western European country to have some kind of serious armed conflict. And I don't think fairly wealthy Catalans have the have the wherewithal to actually do that, you know. Um, and that's why I think ultimately they're going to have to accept that they're not getting independence. And there'll be some deal struck with some new separatist light a diet separatist party or something like that who will take over and convince the people and it'll you know real politic will inter- will intervene basically and it'll it'll be made to go away that doesn't mean there won't be some you know a bit of a mess created between now and then but ultimately I think that's where it's going to go because otherwise it has to be some kind of a serious I mean uh, traditionally historically people who fought for independence fought for independence they didn't they didn't demonstrate for independence they fought for it and died for it and you know we might be in the in the modern world where, uh, and especially in the in the glorious West where you know that thing is 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 uh, that that idea is is really a thing of the past. You know we don't do that anymore. Well, uh, I wouldn't bet on it. You know, so um, yeah, I think it's all just going to blow over. It's kind of a blip, eventually. But certainly, there's a lot of uh, stuff, a lot of information or. or Lessons to be learned from it, and information or uh, awareness to be to be gleaned from uh, from the process. Uh, particularly, like like we like you were saying about Greece there, about what we got to see about the Troika, uh, about the EU Central Powers, and how they really what they really feel uh, <clears throat> was revealed uh, over the Greece uh, situation. So the same thing uh, can happen here, where you can. Uh, get an insight into what really goes on behind the scenes, you know, what they really, how they really see um, Europe and, and and democracy and the will of the people. Mm, it's about power, not healthy economy. Mm. They didn't care about actually fixing Greece. No. They wanted to punish people for being wayward and for voting, eventually for voting the wrong way. Voting the wrong way. Eh... Mm. Uh, Yes. I, I think we might be losing our audience. There's a 
<laughs> a serious chat going on here about the veracity of flat earth in the chat room. <laughs> yeah. I, Maybe we need to do a whole show on that. It triggers people. People get triggered. Now somebody's asking who likes pizza. Yeah. Uh, pizza's all right. Um, Come back to us, audience. Come back. <laughs> Got some interesting things to cover before the end. Well, you better get on it there, um, Alan. You better say, get, present some. Well, here it is right gr- now. Ground, groundbreaking information. Yeah. Well, uh, just one story that kind of dovetails well with um, some of this false flag planning uh, against Cuba. Um divulgences in the recent JFK uh, information, which we've knew, we've known about with Operation Northwoods uh, and and Mongoose and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in recent months, it, it kind of started slowly and, and has kind of built up with these um, with these kind of sound attacks. Cuban sonic attacks. Cuban sonic attacks against uh, am- ambassadors and envoys, uh, American ambassadors and envoys uh, in Cuba. Um, and at first it, it just came out in the news as this, as this curiosity, this, this weird anomalous event, uh, where, um, where American, uh, embassy Embassies up. Yeah. would, uh, experience these weird, uh, sound, uh, attacks that, that left them feeling like what? Kind of uncomfortable and sick. Um, I'm not, I'm not clear <laughs> on the details exactly, but like a high, a high pitched, um, Kind of noise, basically. Uh, yeah, a, a noise that was highly disturbing. Uh, that you know, the, the Cuban government uh, claimed it it didn't know where it was coming from. Um, all of this is happening on the heels of oh, the Obama administration's kind of making overtures of detente with Cuba and normalizing uh, relations just months before uh, the end of the Obama administration. And um, and you have this weird story coming out. This is about four or five months ago, and um, and the Cuban government uh, r- responded to American uh, inquiries about it by saying, "Please send your FBI investigators to come over here. We have no idea what this is. It's not us. You know, we, it, it's against our principles to act uh, aggressively towards embassy workers of of another nation. Come in and 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 look into this matter." So, um, no, so, right. So then the U S we will not investigate. We were not, we're not going to investigate it. You're the bad guys. And, uh, and, and, and you're obviously doing something to our workers and you're bad. And now we'll get Trump to say something rather belligerent against you, which he has. Um, and, and, and now Trump is going on about how, how it's such a bad deal. Uh, that that the U.S. wanted to uh, to start uh, normalizing relations with Cuba again. In any mm. case, uh, interesting article came out uh, a few days ago. Um, well, for, before that, there uh-huh. was a um, a recording was made of these sounds, and uh, I'm not sure who made the recording. Um, if it was an embassy worker or uh, a civilian, because there are also reports of tourists experiencing the same thing like in hotels near the embassies in mm-hmm. Havana and mm-hmm. so they made a recording uh, of these sounds um, and I think it was like several minutes long but they they had all these you know experts pouring over the the sound and they they identified these different um, you know at least 
you know, at least 12 different um, sounds operating and repeating at different frequencies. And, um, um, you know, we're not sure what these sounds are. And so that, that was, I think AP did a, you know, broke that story about the recording and, and, uh, and the, the weird noises in there. But then what was the result of it, Ilan? Uh, I, I didn't get the oh, result didn't, of that. You didn't part. get the result? No. <laughs> well, the, the you Cubans, well, uh, the Cubans, and I believe... Oh, uh, was it the crickets? Uh, yes, yeah, the crickets. <laughs> the, the Cubans yeah, basically right. say, oh, well, actually, you know, that... Well, some people were saying, oh, that sounds kind of like crickets. And then the Cubans said, well, yeah. actually, yeah, those That's are crickets. That's what it is. Because, yeah. we've, you know, we've got really loud crickets here. And, you know, at night, they, they're really loud. And that's what those different frequencies are. It's the different crickets, you know, chirping at, at different frequencies and different intervals because, uh, like, the Cuban crickets can... Uh, um, like their their chirps can be like a hundred decibels, like really loud. So for anyone not familiar with that, I guess it it can be kind of uh, unnerving. But uh, basically, you so know, the, this mystery the sound head, was crickets. Yeah, the headline then is uh, snowflake U.S. embassy staff tormented by Cuban crickets. Mm-hmm. Well, um, but it's obviously that they're not normal crickets. They're obviously Russian high tech <laughs> robotic crickets that are actually. Crickets. Right, that are actually um, have been sent in uh, to attack U.S. embassy staff and bring down the American Empire. Uh, another notch after the attack on the American elections last year and the installation the installation of Russian agent uh, Trumpsky. But that that's really all just a red herring, I think. Uh, because what you have here, I mean, if you just put all of this into context, um, you know, U.S.'s intervention in trying to destabilize Venezuela and other South American and Central American countries, um, it, this, this really does, and, you know, like we mentioned a little earlier, uh, it's long history of, of trying to or thinking up plans for false flag uh, attacks on Americans that could be blamed on Cuba. Uh, this seems to me, um, g- given given the level of complaints and how far the story has gone, and just the fact that the probability of weaponized crickets doesn't seem too high. Um, you know, there is a, a precedent for yeah. u- for using sonic weaponry mm-hmm. um, at embassies at embassies in Central America by the CIA. And um, Cuba is not exactly known for its psychotronic, uh, exotic weaponry and warfare and and uh, and covert behavior anywhere, mm. ever. So, mm. uh, but the Americans are. Yeah, as a matter of fact, they they definitely are. Um, there are stories of how Manuel Noriega, the Panamanian president, in 1990, after he uh, sought refuge from. Uh, American troops um, fled to the Vatican Apostolic Nuncio in Panama City, and U.S. forces used um, psychological warfare there and ear-splitting heavy metal music um, as well, uh, and also sonic weaponry. Uh, and there are other stories as well that included the um, the ousted President Manuel Zelaya of Honduras in 2009 coup, in the 2009 coup uh, that was instigated by Killary, 
um, he was exiled. And when he snuck back in the country and took up residence in the Brazilian embassy, um, there was some kind of uh, sonic type sound weaponry directed to him there as well. Uh, Zelaya claimed that Israeli mercenaries were working under the direction of the junta and the CIA aimed high frequency rep weapons at the Brazilian embassy where he was staying. So uh, th there is a, a precedent for this sort of thing. Uh, and it's not a stretch of the imagination to believe that uh, we're trying to instigate some kind of conflict again with Cuba um, being kind of an important country in Central America. At least that's one possibility. <clears throat> yep. Well, uh, moving on to our last story in today's show. Uh, and this was suggested by uh, Sire in the, um, in the chat room. Uh, there's a story, you know, make of a, this is, this from, this is from the make of it what you will desk, although it's, it's obviously something that is, uh, is real and, uh, you know, uh, a real part of, of our reality, which is that, um, the U.S. Department of Defense apparently is on November 4th is going to simulate a communications interoperability training exercise across the United States from November 4th to the 6th, two days. An announcement was released October 24th and it was widely distributed in the media. Um, basically, the exercise will begin with a national massive coronal mass ejection event, which will impact the national power grid as well as all forms of traditional communication, including landline, telephone, cell phone, satellite, and inter internet operative connectivity. So they're simulating basically what they say is a CME, a chrome mass ejection, and its potential effects on uh, the mm, communication systems in the US. Um, and that's, you know, as, as strange as, as that one gets, you know. Um, go ahead. They're simulating the sun? Yeah, they're simulating what a CME would do. Wow, ego knows no bounds. No, but they, 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 what do you mean? They think they can, like, get an idea of what a direct hit would do? Well, they have had direct hits previously, if you know what I mean. It has had effect on the communications uh, systems okay. in, in, in the U.S. So they're imagining the worst-case scenario here where it would knock out a large percentage of the U.S. Uh, communication systems. And uh, so they're training for that, how to... Okay. You know, deal with it and get get it back online and stuff. But the other, the, 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 there's supposedly interesting aspect of this is the is a coincident uh, coincident Antifa uh, day of rage or what's it called? I don't know what it's called. A day of rage or day of snowflakery or something like that. of helplessly screaming at the sky. Day of helplessly screaming at the sky is with basically Antifa, whoever they are, whatever lefty social justice warrior types are on November 4th uh, are planning a mass demonstration um, in the streets and public squares of cities and towns across this country. They uh, are declaring, are going to declare that this nightmare must end and the Trump-Pence regime must go. Um, our protest must grow day after day and night after night. Thousands becoming hundreds of thousands and then millions. Determined to act to put a stop to the grave danger that the Trump-Pence regime poses to the world by demanding that this whole regime 
be removed from power. That's what's going to happen as the DOD is simulating a complete blackout on all communication systems. Now, what may actually happen is is that the, the exercise, the DOD exercise simulating a CME and a wipeout of all the communication systems will actually have to go live because all of the screaming snowflakes, their combined, the, the combined force of their screams will actually knock out all of the communications across the US. And then they'll have to blame it on the CME. <laughs> That's what's going to happen, people. You heard it here first. That's Take it to the bank. That's a prediction. It's going to happen. I like it. This is Jade Helm 2017. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Jade Helm. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, that it's, inter- it's exactly is interesting that they're holding these kind of exercises um, because I it, suppose at some point been talking about this scenario for a while for a long time, but you know, eventually you're going to be right, right? In well, in the previous iterations, it was um, a paranoia that Iran slash North Korea would right. detonate a warhead high above the US that will cause an EMP effectively the same result, right? That's that's uh, yeah they've, they've been they've been training or projecting that possibility as well so probably this covers that as well because a CME a powerful enough CME would be pretty much indistinguishable from mm-hmm. a, from an EMP from a in theory from a North Korean uh, missile but <clears throat> I'm not sure North Korea really has the ability to 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 do that you know um, maybe who I've knows? got a paragraph of the executive order here. It's interesting. Their their catch-all description for it is space weather events. Right. I wonder if that's a little bit broader than just just a CME. I mean, there hasn't been really a CME that was so, you know, strong since like the 19th century. Well, I think uh, apparently earlier this year there was one that may have been, there were some power outages in April this year. Across the U.S., um, not a lot, but in t- several cities or uh, limited power outages or power blips um, that yeah, coincided with the Russians. No, uh, no, well, no, there were some conspiracy theories said that, but it was uh, it was the most reasonable explanation was that there was a CME that had uh, just uh, been ejected uh, uh, the day before, you know. Or yeah. Well, that's one thing, but here the description is cascading failures that would cripple infrastructure. Yeah. Um, that's very Johnny on the spot for people who are totally helpless at, you know, doing things like actually stopping terrorist attacks. Mm. Um, it's very broad scale thinking, you know, suggesting that they're, cog- you know, aware of other factors here. Um to produce such a sort of catastrophic... I mean, that's the kind of scenario that if we talk about on SOT, we're... Um, we're poo-pooed. We're pessimists, we're, you know... We're, we're catastro- catastrophists. Cassandras. But uh, they're apparently willing to pump tens or hundreds of millions of dollars into imagining, and that, you know, having preparing an yeah. for what to do in such a scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well... I think um, unless uh, unless we have anything else to cover, I'm not sure there's much else going on really apart from those two things. Of course, of 
course there's stuff. Well, the Middle East has gone a bit quiet, not you know relatively quiet, I suppose. Uh, it's gone quiet because there are clear signs now that Syria, Assad's government, and the Iraqi government are cooperating right. militarily, mm-hmm. yeah. which means there's curtains. That's why they've gone quiet. Right. Yeah. It's no longer in the, in the media. Well, they're, they're in, the actually, media. They're, in the last week, there were actually a, a couple interesting um, revelations. The first was... Um, the Intercept released a, um, a document from the Snowden files that showed <clears throat> that Saudi Arabia was um, directly calling the shots. Um, this was mm-hmm. Prince, uh, Prince uh, what was it, Bandar, Bandar. Bin, bin Salman. Um, Bandar bin, bin Salman. Yeah, who directly called the shots on the, on the March 2013 attack on Damascus that the Free Syrian Army, um, you know, conducted. Again, they basically launched, like, heavy rockets at... Um, the presidential palace, the mm-hmm. Damascus airport, and a government facility. And it, it's this, I think it's an NSA cable basically saying that uh, that it was this Saudi prince who was, uh, I believe, prime minister at the time, um, who basically gave the order and, you know, provided the weapons and the money and was totally behind it. And then there was also in the last week the uh, former Prime Minister of of Qatar um, did an interview, basically responding to the allegations, you know, in their ongoing dispute with the the other uh, Gulf countries uh, for support for terrorism. Where he basically said, "Yeah, you know, we were supporting, um, you know, all these um, rebel groups in the early years, but we were doing it side by side with the U.S., Turkey, and Saudi Arabia, and we were doing it from two bases, one in Turkey and one in Jordan." And, you know, so it was all of us, you know, don't, don't lay this on us because we were all doing it together. And so that's been going viral in the, in the Arab world, apparently, because he just came out and said it. Well, they did it too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, again, nothing we haven't known, but this is kind of, kind of two kind of official um, uh, admissions that this is what was going on. It all comes out in the wash. Mm Mm-hmm. The U.S. supports terrorists. Mm-hmm. The same terrorists who did 9-11. 9-11, the reason for all these wars and the police state and everything else. Hmm. And, yeah. Any other stories? No. All right, well... Nothing jumping out of us, but... Everybody should check out uh, Putin's uh, Valdai uh, conference speech. Yeah. Um, always check out speeches by Putin. He knows what's going on. As long as you can read between the lines here and there. But, um, yeah, that was, what was that, three or four days ago? It was more like a, uh, a week ago, no? A week ago, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. And we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Um, thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the show and we'll be back next week with another show until then y'all have a good day morning evening afternoon whatever it is see ya see you next week bye 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 everyone bye